Recently, I heard someone tell the story of someone taking a two-hour walk in light drizzle. They never bothered putting up an umbrella, but after the walk, they were totally saturated. When we realize we have a new identity as children of God, step by step, we move out of fear and insecurity into a place of growing confidence and freedom. It's so liberating to know God is our Father and we are His adopted children. The process of change is taking place in us all. Have a great day. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Welcome to week four of our Life in the Spirit season. Um, it's a great welcome to you all, but I'm particularly keen to welcome anyone who's new for the first time this week. So if you'd like to put your hands up, not least a welcome because you won't have heard my wonderful husband's brilliant message last week. And I know that um, Joe always says, comparison is the thief of joy, but I am going to say to those of you who were here last week, I'm not following family tradition. I'm keeping my shirt on. <laughs> So normally, um, when I prepare a message, I do what I did this time. I listen to lots of podcasts and, and read around the subject and really delve into lots of, lots, of different, um, mess- lots of different passages. But this week, as I was preparing, I kept, felt be- I kept being drawn to the one verse. Um, normally, I would worry about how can I possibly, even someone who, like me who can talk, how could I talk for 25 minutes on one verse. But actually, I think this is what we've found with all of chapter 8 of Romans. The one verse has got so much depth and so much meaning to it that it's more a question of how do I um, uh, condense my five or six hours worth of notes into 25 minutes. No, it won't go on that long, I promise. Um, But I would just like to start by praying. Lord, as we think about the great truth contained in these words... We think about our response to you today, and so we invite you to soften our hearts, to listen to the message through the presence of your Holy Spirit within us. Transform us, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Good. So today's verse is just one verse, as I've said. It's chapter 8, verse 15. You've seen it up on the screen. There are a number of different versions of this um, passage. I might just refer to one or two different versions as we go through. Uh, But the one I'm using is this. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I do just want to linger for a second about this word sons. Um, we, some of us here are females. And we find that the, the masculinization, which isn't a real word, of nouns sometimes makes us feel a little bit excluded. But I want to say for our audiences today that even if I only use the word son or sonship, I am intentionally including all the females and women in the room. goes without saying, but the language is what it is, and I just want to deal with that. So um, please don't feel excluded by this morning. So this week we're talking about a life of identity in the spirit. What gives us our identity? What gives you yours? If you were asked to describe your identity, what would you start with? 
it's very personal, isn't it? And when we hear about identity theft and identity fraud, it really gets to something inside. Identity is who we are. So I looked at the definition, and there were two short definitions. The first being the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. And the second, a close affinity or similarity. Now, if we just think about the first for a minute, we might think about nationality, age, job, address, name. Our name is really particular and sensitive and important to us. And I was laughed because um, my dad gave my sister and I names in the 60s um, that couldn't be shortened. So we all liked, we loved the fact that, you know, there were names like Jennifer that could be Jenny and David could be Dave. My name, Lorraine, my dad was horrified and the family now call me Law, which is horrendous to anyone else, horrendous to my dad who won't call me it, but the rest of the family, it's, a, it's an intimate name for me. It was worse for my sister. Her name being Sandra, we come from the south, it's not Sandra, um, but Sam couldn't pronounce Sandra when she was very little, so she called herself Arnie. Then it became Andra, and then it became Arnie, and it actually became Arnold the Bat. So when we were teenagers, my poor dad, who had christened us, Lorraine and Sandra, ended up with two daughters called Law, or Loza, even worse, and Arnold the Bat. So, you know, our, our names stick with us, and sadly, some of, the, some of those derivatives don't always, uh, don't always appeal. But thinking about our surnames for a minute, we've still got surnames in this country that take us back to that concept of who our father was, our earthly father. So we've got... Williamson, we've got Robertson, we've got Peterson. And in other nationalities, they do this um, even more intentionally than we do. So in Russian, they have a middle name, which is called a patronymic, and it means daughter of or son of your father. Petrovna would be mine, daughter of Peter. But what I really love, and I'm going to refer to this later on, is what the Icelandic uh, nationality does. So I'm going to pick a, because I knew a family with an Icelandic name, I'm not going to use theirs. I'm going to use a good Scandinavian name, Olaf. So if your father was Olaf and you're a son, you're called Olafsson. Brilliant, just like Robertson. But the best thing is, if you're a daughter, you're not called Olafsson. You're called Olaf's Dottir. And it's just a lovely, especially for, for English speakers of the English language, that's a really lovely concept that it's not just Olafsson, but we've got Olaf's Dottir. And that would be your surname if you were daughter of Olaf. And I'll come back to that later on. So that's really the first definition of identity. What about the second? What about a close affinity or similarity? Do people say to you things like, goodness, you look just like your brother? Crumbs, don't you sound like your grandma? Haven't you got your mum's eyes? Or in my case, mum's nose. Is it a good thing? I know as a teacher I've often made a mistake. I'll teach one sibling and then the second one comes along. And I make the mistake of assuming the second sibling has the same personality as the first because they've got the same name. Now, actually, that is absolutely brilliant if your older brother or sister is the model student and future head boy or head girl. But actually, if your older brother or sister is actually the class clown or the tearaway or the one that no teacher ever got on with, that's not so great for you to have your identity, identity um, preempted for you by teaching staff. 
Now we come to Paul, and for Paul, his identity was totally bound to his relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. That's who he was, and that's how he identified himself. The Bible gives us many metaphors or pictures of this identity. Um, Jesus describes us as branches of a vine. Paul describes us in many ways, stones building up a building. The word building is very um, important to us at the moment. We are the stones making up the spiritual building. We hear of ourselves being described as parts of a body. I've always thought of myself a bit as the, uh, the little bone in the elbow, the humorous. Not because I'm particularly funny, but I do find it easy to laugh at things with people and at jokes. So I think of myself a bit as the humorous. Just that odd one that nobody really knows why is there. And, uh, and the last one, Paul, Paul, well, there's many others, but Paul refers to us as soldiers in an army. And those of us, there are a few here who've been part of the military. It's a very close-knit thing. There's a real affinity of being part of the military and, and that belonging. And all of those metaphors or pictures, they really illuminate and bring some flesh and some truth. But the great truth is the picture that Paul chooses to use today in this passage. The real truth behind these metaphors is that we are sons or daughters of God. And it's because of this truth that we can actually understand the metaphors really fully, because we are sons or daughters of God. As it says in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. But here in the Romans passage, Paul uses the word adoption. Eothesia. I know, got a Greek, half Greek husband, need to get that bit right, nearly didn't. Eothesia. But yoos is son, and that Greek word means literally to make someone a son or a daughter, but the son was really important in ancient Rome. It was a really common part of a Mediterranean world, much more so than today. I remember at this point the old joke of two children arguing in the playground. The first one's taking the mick out of the second for being adopted. And the second one says, as you all know, yes, but my parents chose me. There's a tremendous power in being chosen, isn't there? You know, we all remember the football, the netball team, the hockey team, whatever it was you played, and being the last one there. You know, talk about the little skinny one in the baggy trousers, or actually, as I was, maybe in the navy blue knickers. You know, what sort of a concept was that when I was young, that young girls had to wear these dreadful coloured underwear for PE? Never mind. The important thing is that it's so painful not to be chosen. And some of us feel a sense of not belonging and not being chosen. But Paul has used this word adoption, eothesia, really intentionally. He uses it to describe a change of status. From slaves, slaves to fear, having little identity, being the lowest of the low, we are changed to a life of being chosen, wanted and loved. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, the concept of of adoption is worth saying. Um, Actually, I'm just going to say this bit now. The Connect Group notes are absolutely fantastic. Um, So if you're in a Connect Group, we've got a lot of work to do on Wednesday about the whole concept of the difference between 
the um, being slaves and slaves to fear and how we might um, work and behave in that mindset compared to the new spirit of sonship. And we're going to do some really important work around that in our connect groups. So please, if you're not part of one, just see Joe Ryland or somebody at the back afterwards and see if you can just join one. And if you are one, you know, take the opportunity to help your connect group leader maybe with these notes because they are so beautifully written and so well written that really anybody can lead us through this journey, and particularly this week, looking at the difference between that slavery to fear and the, the um, confident spirit of sonship. Thank you to our very own Joe, Howard, and all of the leadership and the, the teaching team who actually put those notes together. They're amazing. Looking today at this, at this concept of adoption in ancient Rome, it had a really, really powerful meaning. Um, the first bit actually upsets me when I think about it, because when a child was born biologically in Rome, the parents had the option of, of disowning them for a number of reasons, which meant that if you were a biological child, your position wasn't necessarily permanent or secure. You didn't necessarily feel wanted or loved or chosen. But not so if you were adopted. And this is that, the concept of that sort of joke thing I said about the playground. Because in Rome, adopting a child meant four specific things. That child was freely chosen, freely chosen and desired by the parents. There was no suggestion of anything otherwise. That child would be a permanent part of the family that the biological child may not actually feel. They would not be able to be disowned if they were adopted. Thirdly, an adopted child received a new identity. Any commitments, anything they had to do with their old family was gone. And as adopted into the new family, they would take on rights, responsibilities with the new family. And finally, inheritance was much more part of, a life, of daily life, of living life, than it is today. It wasn't something that began at death. And the new adopted child would know they were um, fully part of that inheritance, joint sharers in all the possessions with biological children. So I'm sure your minds are racing ahead to the passage like mine is and actually thinking that this very verse, these very words that Paul has chosen, give us a reminder that we are fully loved, we're desired, we're wanted, we are chosen by God. And Paul chooses to use this word adoption, which would mean so much to the Roman audience because they felt they were already sons of God through the Old Testament and through the covenant. But Paul was saying we're now adopted, everybody, not just the Jews, the Gentiles, you and me, not just sons but daughters, we are adopted into God's family. Wow. And then if we are children, then we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Everything that Jesus experiences through his father, so we are co-heirs of that too. And as it says in Galatians 4, 7, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God also made you an heir. Children have the honour of the family name, and it's a great family that's bestowed on us. And I just go back to my Icelandic uh, name for a moment, and I think we're God's son, and we're God's daughter. And I just love the idea, daughter, sons of God. 
So when is our new identity given to us? Because some of us might be a bit concerned about whether we really are God's children. If we question when our new identity is given, we're told in John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So the minute we put our faith in Jesus, he gives the right to become the children of God. It's not us. It's nothing to do with whether we're particularly lovely or kind or macho or sporty or intelligent or tall or short or whatever. It's to do with what Jesus did for us. God loved us so much that he wanted to bring us into his family and he allowed his own pure son to die on a cross so that we would be adopted and have joint heirship. So, as I say, we'll be looking a load at that in in the week in the Connect Group notes about the difference between that spirit of slavery and coming into the true spirit of sonship. How do we know we're children of God? Well, I just want to remind us, we in Highcombe, if you're listening on the podcast, that's an awful thing to say, but if you're living on, listening on the podcast, we actually here at Highcombe, we missed out the third series, but it was just this one verse. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And we, although we missed that, we really d- it doesn't really matter because it flows so well between our last week, which was week two, and do you remember we were choosing life Owen's t-shirt. We were thinking about allowing ourselves as cola bottles to be filled with that milk as the analogy went, the Holy Spirit. So actually, if we're led, if we choose to be led by God, we are sons of God. And then the verse goes on, the verse following this one, the witness of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, bears with us with our spirit that we're sons of God. And it's the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we're being led by him. He comes and joins with our spirit. And by that, we know we are sons and daughters of God. With that in mind, I want to go on to something which I think might bring a challenge to some people. Um, It's the second part of this verse, and it goes like this. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now that word Abba, we know it's the Aramaic, it's still, Hebrew children still use it to mean, and this is where I've always struggled, because in the 80s we got this translation, Daddy. It, we know it's a very intimate term, but as an adult I've never called my, ho- my earthly father Daddy. I have friends at uni that did, a bit posher than me. But I don't call my dad daddy, so I was trying to think what that might look like for me. And I was thinking maybe Abba might be a bit more like my wonderful, amazing dad who I love to bits, or my precious dad who's always there for me, whatever. Either way, it's a term of particular intimacy. It's the little child who runs to the father looking to have their instant needs met. Ouch, I've scuffed my knee. Give me a hug, dad. It's the older child who runs to the father looking for a game of football. Come on, play with me, Dad, a bit of companionship. It's the young teacher, uh, the young teenager screaming to the father. It's not fair, Dad. It's not fair I get homework after every lesson now. It's not fair. It's the older teenage girl looking for reassurance when the social media post they've put up is less than kind. And it's the older teenage boy looking for the caring, non-judgmental dad. He's got some inner secret to share. He'd be too scared 
to look stupid in front of his mates. So he goes to his dad. And it's the intimacy of Jesus using this term when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Abba, Father, everything is possible to you. Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. It's the intimacy of father to child that Jesus modelled for us. And in this verse, John Piper um, focuses on this little word, cry. And he puts it like this. Anyone can say, Abba, Father. You can actually program a computer to say, Abba, Father. You know, a bit like you send when, you, when you send a text to a landline and it comes out all a bit odd. But that is no evidence of the Holy Spirit witnessing to the fact that you're a child of God. No, that's to do with the word cry. When we cry, Abba, Father, to our God and to our dad, our father in heaven. And there's two sides to that cry. From our side, it's deep, it's authentic, it's real. It expectantly looks to a father, to our dad, to, to meet our needs, whatever they may be, to take away our fears, providing eternal salvation. But from God's side, he's being appealed to as an intimate father, dad or daddy, who has done everything possible through his son, Jesus to make this adoption and this intimacy for us possible. So John Piper puts it like this, the Spirit's witness is not a whisper in your ear, but it's the life-changing work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, which produces a deep, heartfelt cry to a caregiver, a need-meeting father. It's the, wit the witness is the work of the Holy Spirit, turning our speak into our cry, Abba Father. So how do we remember to do this? Well, there's three things, three ways we can actually take this and apply this this week. Um, the first is taken from a verse in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on God, for he cares for you. Take your fears, your concerns, which we're going to do in a minute, and lay them at God's feet because we need to cast our fears and our anxieties on God because he cares for us. The second one is we approach God with the humility of a child approaching their dad. There's a verse that I think I've turned over two pages at once, which often happens. But I, um, if I do just go back through my notes, there's a verse where Jesus tells us to come as a little child to God, for those are the kingdom of God. And actually, Jesus goes on in Mark to tell us to humble ourselves like this little child. And actually, there's a humility about coming before God as a child. Those of us who have done a little bit of counselling or psychology will have heard of a term, transactional analysis. And I'm just thinking about the fact that we know there are three states, or each of us has three states. They call it three egos, some people. But it's to do with, we all have from time to time to be parents. Not, it doesn't matter whether you have children in the, in the earthly sense, but sometimes parenting is to do with looking after, maybe giving advice in the workplace. It doesn't always mean the things that we associate with a mum or dad, but it's that sense of giving someone else advice or looking after somebody, being the parent. There's a second 
state or ego, which is being an adult. That's where we're able to um, reflect, consider, analyse, and come to the best decision based on analysing a number of things, and that's what children can't yet do. But our third state is our child state, and that's the hangover from when we were small. And that child state is the one that actually does need them needs met. The child that actually we see in David's Psalms where they're crying. It's not fair. Look, my, Lord, my enemies are surrounding me. That's a child crying, help. Help God. And when I was reflecting on this, I think sometimes I try and parent God. I don't know about you. Sometimes I come up with an idea or I run a group or I'm working with people and I get all my plans together. And then at the last minute I go, oh, let's pray. <laughs> God, can you help me with this? You know, bless this. But actually, it's all right. You know, I've got, I've got this one. I've got it covered. Don't worry, God. I'm, I'm in charge of this one. I don't think he needs us to parent him, actually. <laughs> and do you know what? I don't think he even needs us to have a nice, healthy adult-to-adult relationship either. I think what God wants us to do is to come like a child in what that means, that humility of coming to God the Father, like Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and to really see God as the provider. And this is an issue for some people. Maybe you haven't had a brilliant model. Maybe your own father didn't model that caring I was talking to somebody about this on Friday night, um, a, a guy I know, and he was saying it's difficult. My earthly father wasn't like that. So for some of us, we haven't had a good model. Although for others of us, we have. We need, and I think maybe especially the blokes, but the girls as well, we need to put aside our parenting and our adult states. And we actually need to learn sometimes to come to God the Father in humility and say... Lord, I need you to deal with me, to meet me. You're the parent, you're the adult, and I'm the child. And that's the second point. So the third point is we allow the Holy Spirit to witness to our spirit. We allow him to fill us like we heard last week. We choose to allow him to witness to our spirit that we're children of God, sons and daughters of God, God's son God's dotier. And maybe we'd like to respond to this. Um, we have sung in the past, uh, we have not received, uh, um, we are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. We've sung that on different weeks. I think we need to think about that now. I'd like us to just, as we dwell on this verse again, if you feel comfortable doing so, I'd like you just to close your eyes. We have not received a spirit of slavery to fear again, but the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. If we close our eyes and imagine we're coming to God the Father, let's offer our fears to God. The fears that reduce us to slave-like thinking. Our fears that wake us up in the night. Our fears of illness, of being alone. Our fear of death, of underperforming at work. 
Our fears for our children, and I know there's a lot of exam pressure going on at the moment, or our fears for our future. Our fears of what other people think of us. And finally, possibly, our fear of fully letting go and letting God. Letting God take control of every area of our lives. So let's come before God humbly as a child, even if that's a difficult concept for you. Think of God as our Heavenly Father, the nurturing, the reassuring, the unconditional love of that Father God, seeking to be genuinely loved and cared for, for our parent, from our parent God. Let's hand over our own personal fears. Yeah. 